The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. So Luke 24, 46 through 49, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. So let me, let me explain a couple of things to you about this particular passage. Because if the tomb is empty, like today, the call and response in the traditional church setting is the pastor says he's risen, and the audience responds with, and, and there are different churches that celebrate that differently. I've been in churches in the past where on Easter Sunday morning, the pastor has a volume level that he's anticipating that the church should respond to. And so he says it over and over again just to get the church to elevate the volume and respond at a higher level. Anybody else grow up in a church like that? All right, there's a few of you. Um, I'm not going to do that today um, because I don't want it to just be religious ritual. Because whether you believe passionately that the tomb is empty or whether this is a a Sunday where you don't believe that the tomb is empty but yet you're curious about why Easter is so important, we are all somewhere in between. And so today my desire is, is to lay out something for you. And the way that I said it in our first gathering this morning is this. If you don't believe... I want you to see how I talk to those that do believe because I want to inspire you to believe. All right, I want you guys to track with me on that. This particular Easter is not a typical Easter sermon where it's my desire as a pastor to articulate Jesus in such a way that people that have been come to know as the lost like feel like, oh, he's preaching at me. It's only for the lost to come to Jesus. I believe that this resurrection story in Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel, and in John, it was, was for the disciples. They were the ones that should have believed, but they didn't believe. Like, they went to Good Friday and left him. And it was the women that were faithful enough to follow him to the tomb to know on Friday where Jesus was even put. So a few ladies followed Joseph of Arimathea off the cross, see where he's placed, Realizing that it's late in the day, they had to leave him without preparing his body. So at some point in time, three ladies, Salome being one of them and Mary Magdalene being another, decided to get spices at the end of Sabbath so that early in the morning she could go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body and to give it proper burial, which means that they were expecting to find Jesus dead in the tomb. And the conversation in Mark 16 is, who's going to move the big stone? Like they're walking to the tomb, wondering who's going to move it, because they knew there was one there, because they were there Friday night to see where he was placed, and they saw that massive stone roll to seal him in. And so the majority of the ends of the gospel message was for those that believed. He wanted them to finally get it. And that's what I want for us as a church today. I'm I'm looking in the face of most people in here that I know. A few of you I don't. And so I can tell in a room this small and in this setting, this can be a very uncomfortable place to be. 
And so I want to talk through that because I don't want to distract you from really hearing what I'm saying because I believe it's really important. So in order for me to make the talk as simple as I can, I need to only talk to those of you that do believe for a little while. But it's my desire that those of you that don't believe will believe because of it. All right. So let me explain what I mean by that. When Jesus rose from the grave and the ladies finally went and told the disciples, especially Peter, that he was alive, they were gathered in a room and was the door open or was the door locked? It was locked. I want you guys to understand this. The first people that were seeing Jesus resurrected were gripped in fear. They were scared to be associated with Jesus because they knew if they were going to be associated with Jesus, there's very likely what was going to be waiting for them. Death. But what type of death? A cross of their own. Like if they were following Jesus, who was, who was the son of God, who was speaking against Rome and the fact that Rome claimed to be Caesar, Lord of all, the, the, the Holy One. The, the, that's, what they, that's what Rome was saying was their gospel, their good news, that Caesar was Lord. And Jesus is like, no, I am. That's who he was. The disciples were supposed to follow after Jesus' footsteps, but yet they're now gripped in fear. And when Jesus comes through the door, like the door is locked and he finds them in his fear. Listen to what he says to them, Luke twenty four forty six: the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Like he's reminding them of what he taught them, but they didn't see it. Now, how many Sundays, for those of us that believe, have the sermons not been familiar? They're not new, but you're just sitting there saying, wow, I'm not doing that. There's so much of our faith that you've been taught, but we're not putting it into practice. That impacts those of you in here that that don't believe yet, because you see a church that isn't actually doing what Jesus asked us to do. And so therefore, you're confused. Like, wait a minute, if that's what Jesus said, then why doesn't the church look that way? And so we're making it harder for people to believe because we haven't necessarily let Easter take root in us. So listen to what he says. He says, you are the witnesses for all of this. I am sending upon you what my father has promised. And that's the Holy Spirit, right? And so he's promising that. That's why next Sunday, which I really encourage, I would love for all of you to come back. And not just make Easter a one-time commitment, but to look at what it would look like for us for over a series of Sundays to say, okay, I'm going to be resolute and trying to understand what's going on. And so here's what I'm going to share with you guys. Next Sunday, we start a series in Acts. Because in Acts is what this promise of the Holy Spirit coming to them, to give them power to do what I'm about ready to tell you he said to them he was going to do. So you understand that? Next Sunday, we're going to talk about this thing, this power, this gift that was coming. But we're not going to have time to deal with that today, so you need to come back. Here is what he says to them. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now listen, we could ju- I'm, I'm, I'm just going to unpack this just for a moment for those of us that believe in Jesus. As the Father sent me, so I'm going to send you. So, Lana, I'm going to veer way off my notes, so just go ahead and just ignore the keyboard. I'm, I, I am going to adjust this for the size of our audience here today, and I want to say a couple things. How was Jesus sent? He was on high. 
all the power of creation came from him. He had every right, every privilege, every position of power that there was in the universe. And he gave it up selflessly. Philippians 2, you can write that down and read it later if you want to understand that more. So he says, as the Father sent me, I am now going to send you. That, to me, does not sound like an Easter message that is just about Jesus dying on the cross so that I can go to heaven. The issue for the church is is that we want to be in heaven more than we want to be here. And so we are not effective here. We're not living out our faith. And so the world around us that doesn't believe in Jesus is confused because we're not going as Jesus was sent with humility, selflessness, sacrifice, deep love and compassion for other people, forsaking all of the things that could be about me, and I'm now giving that up so that somebody else could have life? That was what Jesus was saying to these disciples in the upper room. I, am, I have lived an example for you, and now you are going to follow in my footsteps, and so I'm going to do for you what my Father did for me. Now, the problem is in Christianity... That's not really inviting. Like this morning, we baptized two young ladies in that baptism tank. They did not get in that tank because they wanted to suffer for the rest of their life. Let's be honest. They put their life and their trust in Jesus Christ because they wanted their sins forgiven, and they wanted to have life eternal and abundant life with God. But the message of Easter to the church, to Christianity, is that until Jesus comes back and all of the hopes and peace and on earth that we're looking for, that has been the, the birthing in our soul, is eventually going to come. But until then, I look like Jesus in this world. And that's a difficult place for many, us, many of us to want to go. As the Father is sending me, so am I sending you. And so something has happened on Easter Sunday that is unleashing a new kind of power in the world. And this is what Easter is about. I want you guys to hear me when I say this. It's about a new kind of power being unleashed in the world, and that power is Jesus Christ. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We live in the year, what, 2018, so we are over 2,000 years celebrating the Easter story And Easter is an event that took place once and for all. There's no need for another Easter. It happened. It happened once. And this world is a better place. Let me just give you two quick examples. One of them is the fact that this room is filled with men and women. When Jesus died on the cross, this would not have happened. Women had no rights. At best, they were the chief slaves in the house. They were not allowed to vote. They had, they, in many occasions, they couldn't testify in court. They were never trusted and would never have been looked at with a person of honor and dignity. That was first century. Now look, moving it forward. Yes, we still have men-women issues, right? But Jesus has started a renewal work in the world, and women are no longer held in captivity like they were 2,000 years ago. So you tell me that the cross hasn't made a difference, that the empty tomb hasn't made a difference in the world? God is renewing. He is restoring. And now look around the room. Look at the different ethnicities in this room. This room is a picture that the cross is working. Because when Jesus died on the cross, people had a hard time getting together with people that looked differently than them. I am thankful for people like Dr. King, 
who in our generation, well, some of your generation, I was born right on the end of his generation, all right? Some of you actually may have actually been in and around the presence of Dr. King, which I would have loved. But let me tell you this. Dr. King did not believe in an Easter where my sins were forgiven so I could go to heaven. He believed in, a, in, a, in an Easter where my sins were forgiven so I could look like Christ and act like Christ in this world until my ticket's called or until I see Jesus face to face. And Dr. King developed what I feel like is two words, and I have the two words for you guys on the screen, which is the words repentance and forgiveness. And I believe that that is the passion in which you and I need to realize that when Easter happened, we can now do those two things. They can become a part of our life. And repentance actually can be replaced, too, with the word resurrection. Because when we repent and when we um, allow those things to happen, there's a resurrection that happens in our life. And when Dr. King was walking in America in a midst where there was hatred and all these different things that were happening, he refused to let the KKK silence him. And he also spoke against any form of violence that came out of any other ethnic group. He wasn't for anybody that wanted to just say, well, for the sake of the cause, we're going to take it back. He's like, no, Martin Luther King Jr. was a peacemaker. And God in the scriptures makes it very obvious that we are to be peacemakers. I believe that he understood when Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He was going into our culture, in our world today, and he was being a sent one. He was acting like Christ. And we can turn the calendar back just a couple of years. We don't have to go way back to Dr. King. There was a massive event that took place in our country. It wasn't on a huge scale, but it was a huge impact event. June of 2015, all the national news medias were on one courtroom in Charleston, South Carolina. There was a young man that walked into a church service or a little prayer group and decided to shoot people of a certain color because he had hatred in his heart. And for those of you that know what I'm talking about, you saw that court case on that day when those family members walked into court, many of them looked him square in the face, and what were the words out of their mouth to him? Say them out loud. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you one after another. And let me tell you this. I've been on the other side of the desk from people going through hard times. And generally what happens is I look at them and I say to them, you should say this. Like if it's a spousal conflict, if it's something going on in their life where there needs to be forgiveness, and you know when the person is repeating to you something that somebody else told them to say. Do we not? Especially you ladies. You like, look, you like, okay, you guys were talking around the water cooler, so you're coming home saying what, what, you know, Brian told you to say to me, right? And that ain't coming from your heart, right? You ladies know when, when we say something that's not coming from our heart. I loved the fact that when those, when those wonderful people of God in that community were looking at that man and saying to him, I forgive you, I forgive you, or we forgive you, we forgive you, The news media was confounded because they knew it wasn't cliche. They were like, those people are speaking out of the overflow of their heart. They weren't saying what they knew that they should say. There wasn't a person questioning their authenticity because everybody knew. And it was almost like as if you could hear the news anchors, like jaws hitting their desk because they're like, what do we do with this? Because that's not what they were hoping for. 
Because we want to fan into flame things versus seeing the power of forgiveness. And and that beautiful community of a small church in Charleston had no idea they were going to face the pain of a cross. But yet they had been practicing in their community resurrected life. They had been practicing in their church resurrection. And because of that, Easter wasn't just a calendar date that they celebrated it. They made it an everyday practice in their lives to practice resurrection and practice forgiveness. And so I'm grateful for people like that. I'm glad that we can turn to the scriptures. I'm glad that we can go to um, people that have lived before us. But N.T. Wright actually puts it this way, and I just want to share this with you as a quote. Resurrection is the result of death's defeat. Forgiveness is the result of sin's defeat. As a church, we live a resurrected life. We no longer fear death. As a church, we forgive because sin no longer has a control over us. The problem is is that we don't allow that to fully walk into place. And so one of the things that I love about Jesus' story, like, look, Jesus was more than a good teacher. I mean, he was God. But when you read what he was saying, there was a moment in John's gospel where a, a, a bunch of Greeks, right? Now, again, think about apartheid. Think about the 60s in America and the differences between people and the struggles it was to accept one another. Jesus is predominantly ministering to a Jewish community in the Gospels because he was fulfilling the covenant of Abraham. Like It needed to come first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That's obviously part of what Jesus was saying. And so we find here that these Greeks approach Jesus, and a sign that the victory was won for them was how Jesus responds in John 12. And he says, This is the moment, Jesus says, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains all by itself. But if it dies, it will produce lots of fruit. That's a story that should have been in the minds of the disciples when Jesus was appearing to them in the upper room. Is that Jesus' death was bringing life. And he's telling them that it's going to be the same thing for them. He goes on in verse 31 to say, to say this, After another Greek interrupted him, He explains the point. Now comes the judgment on the world. Now the world's rulers are going down. They're going to be thrown out. And when I've been lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to myself. So what was Jesus doing? Jesus was binding up the evil rulers in the world so that everybody could come together. And that's what I love about the look of the room right now, the diversity, the different continents that we're from that are now here in this space. This is why Jesus died, was so that we could come together as one. The issue is, is like in Acts, when they're trying to make sense of all of this, I'm going to establish you as a servant, he says in Acts 26, as a witness both of the things you have already seen and of the occasions I will appear to you in the future. Now let me just say this. We go right over words like, I establishing you as a servant, We don't like servants because they have no what? Power. Our world, the systems of this world are geared around power. And unless you have it, you want it. 
And then those that have it think they're going to use it for good, and many times we don't have it. And the early church was being commissioned to go into the world as servants, to serve like Christ, and to be a witness of that. And he says, goes on to say this, I will rescue you from, from the people and from the nations because they're in darkness and need to be brought into the light from the power of Satan to God so that they can have forgiveness of sins and an inheritance along with that are made holy and faithful to me. So what he's saying to them is this. Look, this is going to sound foolish to you, but Jesus came to bind up all the powers of evil so that you and I could go around and tell people they no longer were held subject to that. So Jesus even uses one analogy where he says, I've bound up the strong man so that you can go plunder his house. That's what we do until Jesus comes back. But how many people in here today that are not believers in Jesus would you say, that really is not the testimony of most churches I've attended? Is we are glad we're going to heaven, but yet we're not going around telling people, you know what, this chain that's on you is unlocked. You can drop it. Because the only power that chain has over you is if you choose to let it have power. And so there's three gods that we're going to talk about as we go through the book of Acts. And this is not going to be a fun series, I promise you, because we're going to have to talk about them. But there are three Greek gods that I believe Paul is mentioning when he's talking to the church in Colossae. And he says to them, he stripped the rulers and the authorities of their armor. And so what are three popular Greek gods in the first century? Mammon, which is money. Aphrodite, which is Go ahead and say it. It's church. Sex. Like, right? Some of you are like, oh, can we say that word in church? You know, anything, any, it's about sex. It's about me expressing myself physically. And the, and the third God, who was the God of Mars? War. Killing death. And all of that was bound up. It should no longer have control. It should no longer be what... The church is held captive to, but we've got to stop giving it power over us. We've got to begin to see how we can walk away from that. There are, so there's so many systems in our day. There are so many people still in slavery today. There are so many people that are still being oppressed today. And the church has a mission to go and do what Jesus did and to continue to model that towards other people and to lay our lives down for others and so for us today, as I kind of end this talk, I want you guys to understand three important things. If you're a believer in Jesus and you are truly trying to obey and follow Christ, yes, you will have a cross. You will have moments in your life where you literally feel like your life is leaving you. Because you can't look like Jesus in this world and not literally start to feel like you're dying for somebody else to be saved. Think about people in your life that are, are difficult, that are giving themselves to mammon, Aphrodite, to Mars, and how hard it's going to be to get them out of serving those gods and how it's going to be an impact on you. So there will be a cross for us. The second thing is, yes, it is going to mean that you're going to have to deny yourself Following after Jesus and his great commission means that I might have to set aside some of the things in my life that I'm doing just to serve myself. 
Now, that's very broad and very difficult. That's why we have all the series of acts to start talking about it. But there are a lot of us that we are only pursuing a paycheck. We are looking for every opportunity to make more money, and we're going all over the world to do it. But yet God wants us to make an earthly difference, and all we're doing is making money. So really, then who is our God? And others of us, we're, just, we're chasing every other thing physical, and it's all about the physical. And so really, who is our God? And, who's, and some of us, we're okay with extending love and grace, but then there are certain people that really tick us off, and then what God do we turn to? Mars. Not the planet. The God. The Greek God. Because the only way that we understand sometimes how to solve a really difficult thing is to just attack. But yet, Jesus. Jesus offered a totally different way of loving our enemies and praying for those that are out to despise us, accuse us, and many times falsely. The third thing that will happen to a Christian that is really trying to follow after Jesus, and this is a pick-me-up. This is going to make you feel really good, okay? I want you guys to know, this is, this is not the self-help church. If you're wanting to get better in touch with yourself and you're wanting to just feel good and be like, yes, I'm great, um, I can offer some places where you can get that, all right? But you won't find it. I want to speak the truth in love to us because I do believe there's great joy in our faith in Jesus. But I also want to be honest with you and say, you get into a baptism take and say, I'm identifying myself with Jesus, you're going to feel some things in this world. And a couple of things that I've felt in my lifetime following Jesus is disappointment. I felt failure. I felt frustration. I felt being misunderstood. I felt pain. I felt sorrow. And if I was just indulging myself, I could possibly still feel those same things. But I also could just be like, I'm just going to live the good life because I would rather just ignore everybody else's problems and just kind of shelter myself. And, 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 and in the meantime, you're just participating in the domination systems that are taking advantage of other people. When Jesus is like, no, it's a self-giving life. And there are systems that need to be changed. There are people that need to be changed. And we're not just, I didn't just die for your sins to be forgiven so you can go to heaven. I died so your sins could be forgiven, so you could be freed from idolatry, so you can worship me and then live for me. He wants us to live for him. He wants us to run after him. So are we allowing him to cleanse us? Are we allowing the power of the resurrection to show us that the things that are binding us up no longer have control? And we can walk in victory from that. And so today... I believe that Jesus is saying to us, I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another. And he doesn't just stop there. He goes on to say what? As I have loved you. This is how everybody will know that you are my disciples, as if you what? Love each other. We as a church have a calling that looks a lot like resurrection and forgiveness. We don't fear death so that we can pray for those that harm us and forgive those that harm us. You know what? I believe, and this is my end for this teaching this morning, I believe that the Lord's Prayer was more than Jesus just telling his disciples how to pray. He was showing them what it looked like to live. He was showing them in one prayer what he was doing, And he was showing them in one prayer what we should do. And we don't have to make it complicated. 
We don't need 52 weeks on how to serve Jesus. We serve Jesus by loving each other and laying our lives down like he laid his life down for us. And then when there's no selfishness, I don't think there's going to be any needs amongst us. And then the world's going to be like, what's going on there? How, could I, how do I get that kind of peace? I mean, those people truly care about each other. They're not leaving each other along the road. Man, what, what could happen if we, just us in this room right now, really, truly said, Jesus is alive. And now he's asked me to go do what he did. Yes, I'm in. Let's go do it. And for those of you today that don't believe, I just want you to know that all it takes is faith to say that Jesus is Lord. And all of these things will be added. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. And so if today you want to talk to us about Jesus, we want to provide that opportunity for you. But right now I'm going to invite our worship team up, I think, to um, end our service with some songs. And there's three ways that you can respond, right? I want, Try not to get distracted by them coming up on the stage.